goes like, oh, oh. It goes like a, like a little arc, like a little, oh. What does? You're, you were, I feel like you were just making a big, oh, oh kind was, of hand signal. I was um, indicating Julie's hair. Oh, is it, it doing like a, It's oh. no longer doing a cool thing, but it made it look, her hair was coming up out the sides like pigtails from the headphones. Ooh. It was, it was cool. That's but dope. But now she just looks like That's a interesting cool that like to, to, like a hairstylist that just like puts random shit on people's heads mm, to like see like where the hair out. goes. And then makes hairstyles up from that. That's a cool idea. You want to bring shoot. that? Uh, you want to invent that? Well, I patented it. Um, so I, I'm going to go you're... ahead and trademark that. And... Is that your thing? No. Just kidding. I know. How dare you? I know. Uh, no. I'll start. And I I was like, this is the first time that I've been like, have we already oh, talked Oh, did you need to adjust the microphone? Uh, yeah, but not the yoke. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Um, have we, because I, I feel like we've now done so many that I'm at the point where I'm like, ooh, I might not remember if we talked about this. But mm-hmm. anyways... Maybe we did. Uh, but uh, I want to get rid of saying no problem in response to thank you. Have we talked about that? I don't think we have. Okay. Because, but okay. Say, I'll happily explain. I okay. say it a lot. I say sure. no problem as a response. Me too. Uh, many people, most people at some point do probably. Um, but I feel like it's just about the intention of the thanks and or, or like what basically, essentially it feels like no problem. What it's implying is that like it could have been a problem what you're thanking me for. But it's not a problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, thank you for coming over or thank you for whatever. Like, the response could have been, um, yeah, it's a problem. Okay, but I well, did it. okay. I, all right. So I, I do uh, hmm, I for, object. Uh, I want to hold your yeah, feet yeah. to the fire about this. Let's, let's yeah, yeah. prove this issue some more. <laughs> so while I'd say for a favor, no problem is indicative that like you are acknowledging that you are appreciative for someone to do something and then for them to say, you know, no problem, extend that. They're saying it's not a problem for me to do this for you. I mean, effectively by saying thank you, you're saying that you're not entitled to what they are doing for you. Now, there's a situation where if you're just like having a party and you say thanks for coming and then they say, no problem. <laughs> then there's some sort of implication that it's like a favor that you're at their party. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see that as being weird. Yeah. But like, explain to me well, what your alternative is that you I, would prefer. Because I just think that um, you're welcome is the best response. But how? Because well, because I think like it's about the nature of like I think okay. I think one thing is that I think saying thank you is a wonderful thing that everyone should say all the time. Agreed. Um, and that if there is... No matter is, what the circumstances. Always say thank you. Always say thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Stephen. Um, thank you. Uh, that, like, if there is the idea of a problem happening, then I feel like potentially somebody might not want to thank someone because they don't want to, like, acknowledge a problem. I it, Essentially, I think it's just, it's really a semantics thing. It's honestly, like... Well, just, let's not, I, I'm gonna, I'll get out in, ahead of that and say that, like, l- like, you know, language does create yeah. our yes. thought processes. Yes. Like, it, it is absolutely, t- I mean, even, if you just take 1984, it's like the whole point of removing words is that, like, if you remove certain words, then you can remove thoughts. So, yeah. I totally well, defend yeah, yeah, yeah. your uh, defense. Mm. Yeah, Thank you. but but and, what do you feel? So you feel like you're welcome. You feel like no problem implies that there could have been a problem. Mm-hmm. But what does your welcome imply? I think it implies like this: we do things for each other and acknowledge them, and 
uh, I, and I'm saying like, well, I don't, it's funny cause I guess you're welcome is like a part of a sentence potentially. And it's sort of like become an abbreviation and I don't know what the full sentence right. would be. Like you're welcome to blank is usually like welcome to or something, you know, but I, it just feels like even putting the word problem in a response, just like to me makes the act, whatever it was, uh, have some potential negativity couched in it versus um, like the the thing of like doing things for each other and how that's a positive thing and we should all do things for each other, acknowledge them and continue. Well, my thought, my, my mind immediately goes to the idea that uh, perhaps it comes like from the days of like being bound kind of by hospitality, like thanking someone for welcoming, welcoming them into for be like, like thanking someone for, letting you stay on their property as you're traveling and then that person going, you're welcome. Like mm-hmm. you are welcome to come to in. Be, to this um, land. Yes. Now, uh, I often struggle with you're welcome because I often feel like, um, it's like a weird thing about like courtesies uh, that we do that like really there are times in which we really do express gratitude and you know when when really when we are expressing gratitude the language that we have to receive gratitude is often insufficient mm-hmm. and language like you're welcome to me to me no problem allows the person saying it in the position of receiving genuine gratitude a way of not effectively patronizing the the one showing gratitude that like if you were going through a hard time and you like Stephen can you please like like talk to me about something we meet or whatever. And then I would be like, yeah, sure. And then we meet. And then you're like, like, thank you so much. If I were to just, I I would be like, well, you're welcome. I think you're welcome. And my pleasure are to like, I just like that, that for that situation, I feel like that maybe is nice. Like, um, because you're acknowledging like, it's my pleasure to help because I mm-hmm. like, or to give this thing or whatever. I think also I'm thinking about like often the encounter where I think about this is like random things on the subway, like somebody holding yeah. a door for somebody or somebody like giving up their seat or like doing you know, a, you know what I say a lot? What? I say, you got it. Mm-hmm. And it, I, that, that, yeah. What does that mean? Though? I don't know. You got it. You got it. But Thanks. it doesn't bring introduce problem. Like you've got my. There's thing. no one's got like a situation of like entitlement. It's like thanks, man. You got it. But that doesn't mean. What does that mean though? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like because the it. thank you though in that situation isn't like, really a thank you. Like no one. It's a, it's it, it's well, sort of an acknowledgement that like, you know, social contract. We're sharing space. Mm-hmm. You yeah. got it, man. Yeah. You got it. I'm happy to do things to you. Everybody's doing. You know, everybody's making it work. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't know. It's just I think that like they're all language that it's weird, right? Because it's sort of uh like automatic language mm-hmm. that has that is in a lot of ways divorced from its literal meaning. Yeah. Just like how are you? Right. Fine. Good. 
then you move on to the rest of the actual right. conversation. And then you're like, and what would, and, and like, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm I got really fired and I broke up right Exactly, yeah, exactly. But it still starts with how are you good? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, on the verge of a nervous breakdown, right, I'm fine. Exactly. Um, but the... Um, yeah, that's what I want to get rid of. The, like, obligatory how are you. Anyways, mm. keep going. But no, there's something about... There's something... Just the fact that it's, like, divorced from... Mm-hmm. Really, whichever one, they're kind of divorced from their original meanings. And so when we are in a situation where it's not obligatory then the obligatory follow-ups, I feel like that's when we start to interrogate them. Mm-hmm. And the what it's like this uh, dissonance between what we sort of, what our rote responses are and what their meanings are when we actually n- intend to be using them meaningfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is like a weird conflict there. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, no, like yeah. there is, there's no way to deal with that right. in this maybe i just thing. want interested in everyone that. to like actually mean what they say, what say. They, and say what they mean and say what they mean well <laughs> that's, that's me that's what i want yeah but yeah interesting food for thought how about you steven um i think i just want to get rid of uh you know what screw it i'll get rid of uh christmas lists oh christmas yeah lists. i i think that that you know a gifts are a nice thing and when someone like gives you a gift, like it can be really, it can be really nice. Mm-hmm. But this idea of saying, oh, this nice thing that you are totally doing optionally, uh, well, here's an itemized list of the things that you should <laughs> be doing for that. And like, in, in, in some ways, I'm like, you know, maybe put out a list because don't waste, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, a, a lot of times people put pressure on other people to have a list of things that they want. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a weird thing to like pressure someone to want material goods or or want the people who this feels oh it always feels weird for me to say, but uh and I'm gonna say it in a particular way that's a bit cynical, but want the people who claim to love them to like show it through show gifts. it through material yeah. things like that like some people find like not only that material goods are not a valid expression of love but find that the pressure to like uh the pressure to like entertain the idea that love needs to be expressed materially as like really bothersome. I mean, mm-hmm. at, at the very, at the most, at, at, the, at the least, I guess it's tedious. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, there are things that I want at random points in time. And, but also I have prioritized them in my brain. Cause if I really wanted them and they were a high priority, I would have bought them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it becomes an excuse to buy crap. Uh, well, and like, yeah, and you're right. The idea of like making a list is like, and the need to engage to be like, what do I want in the material consumer economy? When like before you made that list, you might have not felt like you were missing anything. It's like suddenly now you have right. to like find something. And I, so I feel like we should actually, I mean, just take it maybe to a crazy level further, but like gift giving as a like requirement of a holiday, like just that should be yeah, out, it's all yeah, you know? no, like, it should so be gone. It, Cause it's like giving gifts is beautiful 
if they like mean something and are for a reason. So I feel like it's like, wouldn't it be cool if just whenever you were like, oh, this thing reminds me of that person or I want to make that person a thing. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever reason. done that or experienced that of like had someone come to you and say, hey, I saw this thing. I thought of you. I thought you had to have it and they give it to you. It means, so, it's like, it means much. so much. And then to me, if someone gives me a gift on my birthday, I'm going to be 100% honest. If Please it's not do. my parent, I'm like... Why'd you give me this gift? I feel so indebted to you for this yeah, gift. Yeah, and totally. now I'm also thinking about the fact that like three months ago when no one was giving gifts at your birthday, right. I also I didn't, didn't give, give you a gift. gift and I now know. I'm sitting here thinking about how you're a better friend than I am. Right. Like, no, I, it's terrible. It's yeah, terrible. Well, I, yeah. I will happily not give you a gift please, on your upcoming Gina, birthday. Please, Gina, do not give it. Um, uh, we're having a joint birthday. None right. of you are invited, no. but we are. you are invited <laughs> in spirit. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, I just I I I dislike it. I dislike really the idea of of gifts in general. I dislike that like I mean last a, a, a couple of years ago, I found myself not really wanting anything. Mm-hmm. So I had like two things on my list and then the rest I was like you can donate to the Southern Poverty Law Center to Planned Parenthood to the ACLU and like a number of different organizations in my name. Yeah. And actually I put in that in an asterisk. I was like, as a matter of fact, you can have it. You can like have, have like have it in your name. It does not need to be in my name. I'd rather just the money go Mm. wherever it goes. If, if putting it in my name gives me the tax deduction, but you want the tax, take it. I don't care. Take it. I want them to have the money. And, and did anybody do that? No, I (laughs) got like, I Crap. got those two things and then a bunch yeah. of extra stuff I didn't ask for. Totally. And like, yeah. And it's so wasteful. It's so wasteful. Yeah. I, yeah, this year I'm doing a thing. I haven't figured out how exactly to phrase it yet, but I'm going, I want to like tell everyone in my family, like, I do not want stuff this year. Like, I don't want anything. Like, please don't give me a gift. I would rather spend some time with you because I know if I say like you can donate, like most of my family just won't do that. Um, and like it does become a weird thing because it's like some of my family members, yeah, like they are just live more material, like finding value in those things, and so it's like and a way to express something. But and I'll I'll buy you a thing, like you know whoever it is, if you like really want that thing. But I just like don't want anything. Yeah, and, and I think also think I think say. it's like a relic of you know, and I talk about this with um, like older family members, and it, it's definitely a product of like. 80s and 90s like really material culture and i think that like while it's wrong to say like to label any generation like as a whole but i definitely feel like the people i know in new york who who haven't said i'm going all in i'm gonna make as much money as i fucking can and fuck anybody else uh the majority of people that I know are like they're they're they have met the like quote unquote establishment with a big degree of skepticism with like you know there's there's a degree to which the these like institutions that have been set up and like all these things that tell us what to what to want how we should want how we should express material things that like that they're like 
they're wrong to begin with. Like they're, they're, they're unsustainable and they, they have to convert us into wanting those things so that they can stay alive. Um, I read this article in Forbes and it was about like, Oh, the dark side of socialism is rearing its head around. And it was all about, um, these two laws in New York city that are like damaging local businesses. One being the $15 minimum wage and the other being this like fair work week rule, which means that people basically have to know their schedule ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And basically the, the, that both of those things are hurting businesses. And I'm like, well, what, you know, what you're saying is that it, it, it's hurting business that they can't exploit people. Right. But, you know, something, you know, you're, this is supposed to be from the, the not business, not personal, it's just business class of people. Well, if the, those people should, should be met with, if your business is based, if you have to exploit people to keep your business afloat, then you don't have a good business. Like you, you just don't. Um, and what you're, so what you're saying is like the weird tedium of planning someone's schedule two weeks in advance is more of an impact on business than it is on the people who are working in those jobs who are waiting to the last minute to figure out how they're going to like negotiate childcare. The, like if they have any free time, whether or not they're allowed to have any sort of life outside of their job. Um, yeah, it's a very, uh, frustrating thing. We've gotten off the topic. I, (laughs) I sort of a loaded gun on this issue, but I wanted yeah, I, I yeah, it was a, a case in, uh, in summation. Uh, Christmas lists. Want to get They're rid. out. They're out. Uh, Let's materialism stop as a other whole. Gifts. Yes. Yes. Also, of material goods. Um, Agreed. It's so wasteful and yeah. and pointless. Dope. Yeah. Um, so uh, wow. All right, we're changing the world. Yeah. Let's. Let's shall we do the the right thing that we're supposed to do and like start the Welcome, welcome, welcome. Whoa. Come well, come well, come well to should we keep this the podcast that you know in love with two good hosts sent from above. We take on films, songs, and shows to say what stays and say what goes. <laughs> the last one we do before the it's the last one we do before the break, so listen close to hear our takes. It's cold today, but that's just fine as we go back to eighty-nine to the seminal work by Mr. Lee. That's right, we're talking do the right thing. And that's Baby? the truth, Ruth. Oh, okay. I was waiting for a rhyme. I'm gonna give you some snaps into the microphone. I uh, misspoke. Were you by no, I'm so- <laughs> and uh, I had a little stutter. Oh. Samuel L. Jackson had no stutters. I had I, I could feel you channeling um, yes, Mr. Senor Love Daddy. Right. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank well you. done, Stephen. Thank you for You're really listening outdoing to yourself. We Love Radio one at one oh eight FM. <laughs> um yeah, no. Yeah, hit. we're doing we're... a special episode of a special episode. Do the right thing. The right uh, thing. Yep. Um 1989. Back to my birth year. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so do the right thing. Okay, I'll are tell we you. Are we out of the woods? Yet are we out of the woods? And are we out of the woods? And are we out of the woods? Yet are we in the clear? Yet are we in the clear? Yet are we in the clear? Yet in the clear? Yet? Oh, huh? Oh, that was just that was a song that took a lot of time to grow on me. Um, from uh, Julie Dreschel, Jonathan's Doppelganger, hey, Taylor Swift, seminal 1989 album. Um, well, it's we only okay. have so much longer, Ugh, and you said God. 1989, because you can't say 1989. Year, you're taking it away from me, and you're making it all about Taylor Swift. Well, it's you know also Taylor Swift's birthday, birthday. Yeah, you know I don't that? care. Okay. I was talking about myself. La la. Everything's oh, about wow. me. Okay. <laughs> let, let me give you gifts. Give me gifts. Materialism. I want a pony. Okay. I want a goose. Do the right thing. So um, this is the plot. Um, so this movie is set in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, and the whole thing takes place on one particularly hot summer day. And it's about the community that lives and works in the neighborhood, um, which is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. Um, we follow Mookie, who's played by Spike Lee. Spike Lee wrote, directed, produced, and stars in this movie. Um, Mookie is a pizza delivery man who works at Sal's famous pizzeria, which is owned by an Italian-American man named Sal and his two sons, Pino, who is openly very bigoted, uh, especially against black people. And, oh, I wrote Pino and Pino. And nope. Vito, Vito. <laughs> is the other one who is friends with Mookie. Um, the movie introduces us to lots of residents of the neighborhood. Um, there's a big sort of cast of, of characters. It feels just generally just to say like it's more of a movie about the community and mm-hmm. then it is about plot. Um, and so there's all these people we meet. Uh, there's an older man who is called the mayor. There's Radio Rahim who blasts public enemy on his portable on his boombox everywhere he goes. There is Smiley, a man with a developmental disability, bugging out, who basically sets off what is the plot, which is he comes into Sal's famous pizza and pizzeria, excuse me, and he questions Sal about why he doesn't have any black people photos, photos of black people on the wall of fame, which is this wall inside the pizzeria that's all famous Italian Americans. Um, when Sal dismisses the idea, bugging out, tries to convince the neighborhood to boycott Sal's, um, but People don't like the idea because pretty much, you know, everyone eats there. Uh, and as the day goes on, the heat rises, as do the tensions, as does the, as, as do the tensions, do the tensions or as does the tension. Or as the tension um, does. As tension does. Uh, various things happen. Cops arrive to turn off a fire hydrant that some of the teenagers have opened on the street to cool off. Fights almost break out periodically throughout the day. There's a white man who owns a brownstone, and he scuffs up bugging out's new sneakers. That almost starts a fight. Um, a group of Puerto Rican men have a music battle against Radio Rahim, where they're both like playing different music, and so like it almost gets goes to a head there. Um, Mookie almost gets fired because um, he takes too long of like a break, basically, to hang out with his girlfriend Tina. Um, you can just feel this sort of simmering, escalating feeling that something is going to happen. And indeed, it does. Uh, that night, just before Sal's Pizzeria closes, Buggin' Out arrives with Radio Rahim and Smiley, who are the only two people who joined in on his idea of boycotting the pizzeria, demanding that Sal changes the wall of fame. Um, Sal smashes Radio Rahim's boombox, uh, which causes this a very violent fight to break out. The police arrive and put Radio Rahim in a chokehold and kill him. And then when they realize that they've done that, they quickly leave the scene with his body uh, and the neighborhood explodes. There's basically, you know, a mob of people who, you know, vandalize the pizza shop. They smash everything, set fire to it. 
while others in the neighborhood sort of look on in disbelief. The fire department and the cops come. More fighting ensues. Uh, it's total chaos. And then the scene, the movie ends basically the next morning when Mookie confronts Sal and we sort of see like the burned out remains of the pizza shop demanding his weekly pay and the two sort of cautiously seem to reconcile. And Mr. Senior Love Daddy, uh, who Stephen was channeling beautifully, a local DJ, um, sort of ends the movie dedicating a song to Radio Rahim and saying that this next day's forecast is supposed to be even hotter. And then over black, we see two very different quotes about the use of violence, one from Martin Luther King and the other from Malcolm X, and that's the movie. Essentially, there's so much that happens and so many more characters, but, you know. Right, and as you said, it's more... um it basically builds it's almost like the third act is where a lot of the action happens and the like and much of the the first two are kind of layering the the tension and the different like inner workings of uh the neighborhood mm-hmm. and how everyone sort of relates to one another and basically kind of lays the foundation for why the last bit is about is able to yeah. be set off. Yeah. Um so this movie was made for six million, made thirty seven. Um at the time, you know, Siskel and Ebert, they ranked it the best film of nineteen eighty nine. Um and they ranked it in the top film of the decade. This film though, uh we talked about the controversy when we were talking about 1989 because it received a nomination for screenplay and Danny Aiello really um who plays Sal received a nomination for received a nomination for best supporting actor but it did not receive a best picture nomination um this is Spike Lee's third movie he is definitely um gave him while he while she's got to have it was really successful this was definitely his like biggest critical success and of his number of major snubs the next one after this would be Malcolm X um he also was sort of central to the the first not the first but like the big push a couple of years ago um, with like hashtag Oscar so white that sort of pushed the Academy to expand its voting base so that there could be more, uh, you know, better, uh, a better representative voting base to represent the films that were coming out. Um, and at the time, uh, the film, his film that year was Chirac, which was an adaptation of uh, a, a Southside Chicago based adaptation of Liz Estrada that he did all in rhyme with uh, Samuel L. Jackson as the chorus. And a lot of the controversy ended up being trivialized in the direction of like Jada Pinkett Smith talking about Will Smith. Um, But I honestly think that the reason that people focused on that so much was because if they focused on Spike Lee getting snubbed, then they would not have, there would be no jokes to make because Mm -hmm. like, he made a really interesting, like mm-hmm. really cool movie. Yeah. That was like, and that also didn't get nominated. Did no nomination. 
Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, his first film to be nominated for an Oscar was Black Klansman. Really? Yeah, to, who went on to be beat by Green, Green Book, Book. Which is um, driving which is, Daisy again. Yep. Um, and then, so, in terms of the stars, um, this really, like, changed, if it didn't launch, it changed a lot of people's careers. Mm -hmm. Danny Aiello credits, even though he'd been in film since... Uh, since like 1970 and like one of his first films was The Godfather 2. Um, he credits this movie as like the first one that sort of gave him a focal part as sort as opposed to just like, you know, uh, a named sort of henchman. Mm. This is Martin Lawrence's first film. <laughs> uh, this is Rosie Perez's first film and she only took the job apparently because her sister lived four blocks away. <laughs> uh, she was from LA. Yeah. Um and then this is uh, Radio Rahim. His name is Bill, Bill Nunn. This was his second credited film role. Um, and his first was School Days, which was uh, Spike Lee's preceding and second film. And then this film stars Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee as both Demare and Mother Sister. And those are two like giants of both New York theater and film as well as the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, Ruby Dee was the first black actress to play a lead role in New York Shakespeare Festival. She emceed the 63 March on Washington. Mm -hmm. And Ozzie Davis was, you know, he's an award-winning playwright, actor, poet. He delivered the eulogy at Malcolm X's funeral. Wow. And they'd been married uh, since 1948. Um, both have since passed away, him in the mid-2000s and her in the early 2010s. Mm. Um, Roger Gwenver Smith, who plays Smiley, mm. this is uh, one of his his second film role. Um, literally, the part was written for him because he just pestered Spike Lee until he gave him a role in the movie. <laughs> wow. Um, and he's like a giant of of solo shows of solo theater. Um, he, he writes a number of, uh, really cool, really interesting solo theater work. And then, uh, this is one of Samuel L. Jackson's first named, uh, film roles. A lot of his stuff. If you look at his list prior to this, it's like bum or, you know, the gangster or something like that. It's like, just, just, titled sort of trivialized roles yeah. whereas this one he's like much more forward and then uh just other fun fact oh uh, some other fun facts um there is a hey arnold episode that parodies the that that, that ha goes through sort of the plot of this film it doesn't seem like a parody really? it just seems like a hair and on episode that's a do the right thing episode and it's also about race uh hey yeah it's about like inner city tension that ends in violence oh. and like um it's wild then uh, Barack and Michelle Obama apparently went to see this film on their first date. Oh, wow. And then also, um, in order to shoot the film in Bed-Stuy in the 80s, like on that block, there were crack houses that they had to shut down. And there was so much, uh, there, was, there were so many like threats to them that they had to hire the paramilitary arm of the nation of Islam to do their security. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, and there's all the, like there's reports where they would like 
you know, they would tell the cops because the cops would be seeing, you know, these guys in suits and bow ties being like, you know, what's what are they doing here? And it's like, oh, those are just bodyguards. And he's like, what I didn't tell him is that they were Farrakhan's army, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Another fun fact, maybe, I, don't, I was watching the little New York Times video. They have the anatomy of the scene stuff. Mm. And they had Spike Lee talking about the the sort of culminating violence scene. And just one thing from that that I learned that I thought was interesting was that the block where they filmed it in Bed-Stuy was renamed, after the movie came out, was renamed Do the Right Thing Way. Oh, or yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, given one of those like extra little street placards. And it was apparently the only street in New York City to ever be named after a movie, according to Spike Lee in that video. Like you directly, know what? I bet that. like the I, title of a movie. Yeah, no, you know? I can see that because I mean, yeah. you see lots of streets named after actors right, and writers, right, but you right. don't really see like anything named of, after a. Yeah. 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 So that's. I mean, although Forty Second Street obviously named after the musical Forty <laughs> Second Street. Yeah, um, you're right. That came it, first. It was. Yeah. It was. It was just. Forty Second Street was just like it was a just street. A play, yeah. yeah. It was just. just like it was unnamed. Of, it was like forty, forty-one question mark. Forty plus one. Forty plus. 40 plus one plus one street. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gotta come up with something yeah. catchier. But then uh, actually every year, and we'll see what happens now. I don't know that he'll continue to do it. But since since his death, he had a big block party on Do the Right Thing way. Who? Uh, Spike Lee. Since um, his death. Uh, and it, it, in honor of Michael Jackson. Oh, oh I see. Um, so we'll, we, where it's unclear the future of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Voting time. Let's do it. For let's do that right thing and vote. Voting is the right thing. Voting is the right thing to do, and always. Yeah, always. Everyone, everybody vote. No matter what. There is vote. not an election in the next couple of weeks, but there will be one soon. Right. So vote. We'll show you how. One, one two, two, three. Keep yeah, it. We definitely. Holy keep shit! It. Keep it. God. Yeah. This is the only movie I think that like. If you, if you change, if you updated, like, if you rewrote nothing mm-hmm. in the movie, and like, if you remade this movie changing no words, mm-hmm. people would believe that it was written, it was written for, first for now. now. Well, that I know because it was so, it was so eerie to watch it, and so many things that are being talked about now just. Were like not only of course the obvious enormous one of like police brutality, um, but like gentrification, you mm-hmm. know, and all of these things that were that are in the movie that I'm just like, my God, this is so, just it, it it's so frustrating because it feels like nothing has moved forward in right. thirty years, you know. And uh, you get like the the fact that you know it, it's it's like there's this kind of wishful thinking that. You know d- the discussions around, um, like racially motivated violence around 2014 because of uh, smartphones, because of the inability to like, um, you know, basically hide your actions very long, and also the ability for people to capture it and and put mm-hmm. it on film and put it out there. That that somehow created this larger conversation. Well, it's like no, here right. it is. It's, it's been right happening. Here. Right. Like, right. It's right here. Everyone, the the two most famous film reviewers of the 1980s and are and really just really just ever, Siskel and Ebert are b- b- films haven't been around long enough for there to be more famous reviewers than Siskel and Ebert. 
they said it was the best film of 1989, and yet people are still mm-hmm. debating whether or not it's an issue. The fact that there are flags, black and white flags with a blue line in the middle, means that people are willing to debate whether or not what happened in this movie was wrong. Like, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, yeah, it is very um, impactful. Yeah. yeah. And so interestingly made, like, so I was talking with Quinn because um, mm-hmm. we watched it together and I was just thinking about, and this is not like maybe the best place to start. I don't know, but like about the question of why it didn't even get nominated because like it, and essentially what he was saying was like, well, like it is such a, uh, just in terms of even like the way it's made, like the script, the, um, the fact that there isn't like a clear structure, like the way that we're sort of used to like first act, second act, third act, like the, the, you know, like it's just so much not about plot. Um, there obviously is a plot, but it's sort of like made in a way that is very inventive and very much like doing something new just in the way of, in the storytelling. I mean, there's all these scenes too that are just like directly to the camera, which are like, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's just so many things about it that I think are so um, inventive and really trying to tell the story in the way that Spike Lee wanted to tell it. And so, and he, and I was like, and that is adding that onto the fact that it's such a good movie and such an important movie and also somehow is still funny, you know, like all of these things, right. like to me just makes it seem even more like it should have at least been nominated, which makes me feel like the reason it wasn't is because it was like, people didn't want to go there as far as what the movie was saying. And he was Absolutely. saying like, well, or maybe like because of the, but like the Academy as an institution, like he was essentially questioning. And I was like, that's an interesting question. Like, Typically, when we look back on the movies that like have been nominated or won, like were those are those typically movies which sort of defy like the quote unquote good storytelling, like classic storytelling, or are they ones that try something new and are therefore like seen as new and interesting? And I was like, I don't, I, I like my instinct is that they would be inventive modes of storytelling. Would yeah, be either, I, I but- actually, I'm always very weary of of anytime someone talks about like you know how people as if there's some sort of like cabal of people who have like established rules of storytelling because it just doesn't seem well, to I just, hold up all i mean is the way like the ways that movies are typically and have been shot and stories have been told you know yeah but like i mean i i i feel like now while he is to me, the only thing that he's doing that is like all the like things that feel weird to us are elements that have been used at you know time at one time or another by other highly regarded filmmakers, um, more avant garde and like new Hollywood filmmakers, definitely uh, more like you know like cinema nouveau style, more like. Um, Ingmar Bergman, like different things like that, like the idea, you know, the amount of sort of Dutch angles that he uses definitely are, they're not typically used, but um, clearly, I think it is, it remains clear that um, so I think that the what we're really getting is 
we're not getting a narrative that allows the voting base of the Academy to put itself on the right side of the film. And we're not getting stars that the Academy has given its seal of approval on. Um, like, like if you look at Moonlight, well, Mahershala Ali does not have a very complex part in Moonlight. In terms of the people who have complex parts in that, it is it is middle Chiron and older Chiron. Mm-hmm. They have the like the tough parts, the parts that require acting. Like also, I mean, the cinematography; the, those things were like amazing. His, but he mm-hmm. was the actor with the most credits. Danny Aiello was the actor who had been around forever, regardless mm-hmm. of however anyone else performed. Right. He's the one who'd been around twice as long as anybody else. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. a- and he's the one who you could say, ugh, made a mistake, but, you know, really he was pushed. Like, if you wanted to make that argument. It pushed into what? Made a mistake with what? As in he shouldn't have, like in the end of the film said the n-word and and broken radio rahim's uh okay i didn't know what you're talking about i thought you're talking about the actor no i mean his actions in the film Uh like you could say like someone could explain away his actions and say that well Mm -hmm. you know he 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 gave all the chances that he could and Mm -hmm. then he you know lost his temper and he made a mistake but you know it wasn't his fault right Mm -hmm. and so you know unlike John Turturro, who was like really good in the film, but unmistakably mm-hmm. like a bad yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and so it's more and, and like and really Danny Aiello's character is like it, it it's there's something interesting to him, but it's also interesting that like this bad guy, like that basically this thing happens. And John Turturro leaves more entrenched in his bigotry. Mm-hmm. And and Vito is potentially sent further in the direction of his brother's bigotry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like a very... The, the, also, like, the fact that this film layers these... The, the issues, like so well that like Sal really we were just like, they should have just stayed closed. They should have just stayed closed. Cause you know, what happens is they close for the night mm-hmm. and then Martin Lawrence and his posse, they're like, can we just get a little bit more pizza? And so he decides to like let him stay. Right. Which is also, but very tied to like the complexity of his, of like the situation where like if he was, if it was John Turturro who was in charge, right. he would have been like, Fuck no, the door's closed. I'm not letting more people in here. But and he Sal says he loves like, the neighborhood right. and he loves the he's kids like, that they grow, grow up, up on my. On he's like they grow yeah, up yeah. on my food, yeah, you know. Yeah. And right. And then, you know, and then, right. 
then they, the you know, then them. yeah, Radio Raheem and Bugging Out come in and they push him, and then he beats him. You know, then he starts choking him, and then the police come in, and so it's like, yeah, like Bugging Out has a good point about the pictures on the wall. Mm-hmm. Danny Aiello has a good point about the pictures on the wall. Mm-hmm. B- b- you know, he's Radio Raheem. Like they, they're like they have. They all have their point. Like they did the wrong thing by busting into the. They like. They did the wrong thing by busting into the store to like try to like pick a fight. He did the wrong thing, but the way he responded to them, they all like everyone was right and everyone was wrong and like yeah, it's just it's not. It wasn't this like. No, it's not cut and dry. It's not, yeah, it's not an easy right. thing to watch at yeah. all. And it's so, and like, it's just such a, ending the movie and then seeing those two, those two quotes side by side between, of Martin Luther King and then Malcolm X was like just the whole, you know, the question of the whole movie of like, what is the right thing? You know, because mm-hmm. like it felt, it felt to me really, um, like a really challenging, like thing to do and like an impressive thing to do to like, the movie didn't seem to be telling the audience like one of these two ways, essentially like nonviolence or fighting back, like is the right choice. It was like mm-hmm. really allowing us to like understand both sides at times, even though like, yeah. And so like my impression is that like, but maybe it's only my own judgment of like that, like potentially the, the like, that the nonviolence is the way, but that, but like also it gets so complicated. And but I even think then, like Malcolm, also it's just yeah. like Malcolm X doesn't advocate for nonviolence. He he doesn't advocate for violence. He advocates for self defense. Like he, right, it, right, right. But and yeah. and that's totally no. And I'm not saying, of course, like, but the idea of like the question of like when something has happened to you, like what do you do in response? Sure, you know, and yeah. that's what I mean. And like the whole movie is is that is like us seeing little moments of like something is happening to somebody. What do you do? You know, and mm-hmm. then in the end, of course, finally, like the choices this one choice is made um and, and and it just does such a great job of like showing us understand like understanding why those choices like and in the end too like everyone is so hot and sweaty and like you can just feel the and that was a, something that Spike Lee said in the interview in the little scene the video mm-hmm. thing was like you know I want people watching this movie in air-conditioned theaters to be like sweating through their clothes as they watch this yeah. movie and like I feel that um but yeah, but like when the end, when the violence happens, it's like it so clearly is not the answer, but also you can understand why it starts, you know, and like you understand yeah. both sides of everything. And, you know, there's something else that happened. I don't know if it said so in that documentary, but, you know, when they start yelling um, Howard Beach, mm. that was like not something that was going to be, was that like the extras and people were, prepared for like that was uh somebody somebody on like either spike lee or somebody on the team got the idea of it and they started doing it and like they said that that changed the environment completely because that was something that i mean probably through a concerted effort also probably because news wasn't as national Mm -hmm. in those days but for multiple other reasons I, when we hear, I hear Howard Beach, like, I don't know anything about it. But when they yell Howard Beach, it was something that, like, basically these two guys were killed because they were basically lost. 
and then this like mob of white people killed one of them and chased the other one and he ended up running out into the street and getting hit by a car um and you know no one was charged charged in in any way um and and so like the and and the 80s was like uh, 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 there were a number of racially motivated killings of black people in the 80s and that this was sort of coming on the well i was i was going to use the phrase coming on the tail end of but mm-hmm. it's in response to but really in it's, the middle of yeah. the tail um yeah. yeah and the yeah just the continued relevance is i mean while the continued relevance is disheartening it's also just like it's just amazing to see a film that like really touches kind of i don't know everything <laughs> it's one of the only film when i talk to people i'm like this it's one of the only films that i feel like depicts new york yes a lot of things have have changed but it's way closer to the new york that like we live mm-hmm. in an experience yeah. than like master of none or sex in the city or anything like that. I mean, like mm-hmm. the idea of someone not having air conditioning in the summer, mm-hmm. not unusual. Right. Yeah. No. And there's so many ways. Yeah. Just like so many little details that I feel like I can't even name that feel so authentically mm-hmm. New York. Even know. just living in, just it being in like, uh, like a, sort of farther from center neighborhood where not every house is pristine, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, it's just, it's not, it's just something that you're not, that, that doesn't really get shown in, in New York things. I mean, shy of like, I mean, even Frances Ha really like they, she was poor, but she was always like living with trust fund people that could Mm -hmm. pay for great apartments. So like, even then she wasn't, she was like a, poor full-time dancer living with rich people Mm. um yeah so it's like the only you know film i really well his films in general but this is the film of his that i'm probably most familiar with Mm. um that shows a new york that i'm familiar with Mm -hmm. yeah for sure Mm -hmm. i also just thinking about the this is not related but like the thinking about the way it's shot, like the, there's so many, not only the, so there's so many scenes where it's like we either one person is like speaking basically to the camera. We Mm -hmm. understand that in them speaking to the camera, like they're speaking obviously to somebody who is not shown on screen, but then also even in, there's a lot of scenes where it's like two people having a conversation, like it's less stylized in the sense of like, there's one extended sequence. It's really amazing where like every one person at a time like directly to the camera is saying, you know, like stereotypes just epithets like a, yeah. about like a particular group of people. And then we mm-hmm. like jump to somebody who is from that group and they're saying them about somebody else, you know, and like, yeah. and so like, but then also even within two person scenes, like there are more shots. It felt like where you see like only one person in that conversation mm-hmm. and it just like the sort of form and content thing of like, it felt so clearly like, people not seeing each other, you know what I mean? Or like, just Ooh. like being so like, uh, like, yeah, like they're not like connecting. They're just mm-hmm. sort of like, there's assumptions and there's, you know, like what I'm putting on somebody. And so like all we see in the frame is just that one person and not like the two people 
in dialogue or even responding. Yeah. Like we don't see their like facial responses as they're talking. You know what I mean? Like this sense of like isolation kind of. Even um, when the, I see that also when like, cause because this film is pitting a number of different or like showing the tension that arises from these various different uh, like groups. Mm-hmm. You also have um, the, the kids that, like when they are making fun of the the mayor and then he has like a Mm. pretty moving monologue about how like you can make fun of me, but until you like are looking at kids that you can't feed and like all these things, like you have no idea. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I'm at a low point. Right. But I have lived through a lot of terrible things that you've never had to live through. So think twice before you make fun of me. And then they're like, they just start like making fun of how they are never going to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And like those films, those shots are all like dead on them. There's no like two shot that's capturing both of them at the same right, time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and in so many different iterations throughout the movie of like those, those sort of like group shots where a fight could happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it was just so interesting to see also like the dynamics within the group were repeated no matter who we were seeing. So like, a person who is like on the brink, like is like arguing with somebody, yelling at somebody, you know, someone else who maybe is like egging them on, someone else in the group who's like, guys, let's try to let let let's chill out, and and like in so many different like scenes where there were groups of people who like could be getting into a fight, like that dynamic was just mm-hmm. like present for all of them, and so like just yeah, the feeling of like everybody in their own sort of separate corner. Um, like we're all going through the same thing, but all we see is like ourself, you know, or like mm-hmm. we just like can't see that somebody else is having the same experience. I don't know. Yeah. And that like everyone is, yeah. And that everyone is having that experience, you know, with the, uh, the, the guys that sit on the corner, mm-hmm. they are almost entirely comedic, mm-hmm. you know, they're just like going back and forth and they're hilarious. They're so funny. Yeah. So funny. And then, randomly there's a part where the cop car drives by and Mm -hmm. it's just this sort of back and forth Mm -hmm. stare down between the two of them. So it's like, you know, there is, there is no one in this situation that is carefree at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, right. You know, Samuel Jackson is by virtue of being in the radio station, sheltered from it Mm -hmm. to a degree, but like, yeah, yeah. What that reminds me. So this might be bullshit, but I was like, maybe the structure of this film is more like a radio program than like a movie. Do you know what I'm like? Okay, just hear me out. Like, like, um, like there is a like tone and theme to it, um, and we see these little like blips of different relationships, different characters you know, like in their own kind of little worlds. Um, and much like, you know, individual songs that are maybe part of a seri- a program that is a particular like type of music or something. Uh, so that was my thought. I was like, ooh, I feel this radio connection. And especially, because you know, because he as a character, like, you know, he has a radio show and it's happening the whole time. And like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, does a little intro of like, good morning, this is what's happening, you know, and like periodically has these little like radio, we hear him over the radio. And so that was my thought. I was like, ooh, maybe it could be structured like 
like a program, like a radio program? It doesn't, that's all. Um, so, okay. Um, I think, I mean, I think it's interesting. I also think that like, there is this idea of, there is like a sense of unity amongst everyone by like yeah. virtue of where they are, where it's like, you know, everyone's listening to, you know, the love doctor. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to, by virtue of like seeing everything on the block, he is able to talk to everyone. Yeah. Um, and like, he's sort of a narrator that's, that is watching it unfold. Um, and, he, and so he's sort of able to comment and, and Spike Lee definitely does have a tendency to do in a number of, in a number of films, um, cause, cause some films are more quote unquote Spike Lee than other films, <laughs> but like, um, there is like, he does have a, a, a sort of poetic or like magically realistic, uh, cinematic sense, you know, mm -hmm. Spike Lee and, and so, you know, you definitely see that, but I almost see like like how you get these individual portraits of the Koreans, of Sal, of the Puerto Ricans, um, of Bugging Out, and then you sort of see down the street or some sort of passing thing, and you realize that they're really just, they're all in the in same one place. one street, basically, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like the this radio show that they all listen to is another thing that sort of permeates through and, like, connects them mm -hmm. all and shows that, like, this... I mean, really, like, all of this is happening on only one block yeah. in only one day. Right. And so, you know, times 52 mm -hmm. times to all time, you yeah. know? So, like... <laughs> yeah. It, it's definitely, like a like, a localized metaphor for for what we can be expanding. And then like, really he's sort of a, just a, he could be like a signifier for just the way that the media comments on things. I mean, really the media doesn't comment on what's going on the way he does. He has mm -hmm. much more care for the situation right, than it's the media does. part of the community. Right. Um, and has one of the funnier moments in the show, because did you notice him through the window when Mookie was delivering his food, mm -hmm. like, but, so when he's, when he's delivering the food, he's, he's talking to Vito yeah, and he's doing it right in front of uh -huh. Samuel L. Jackson's window and Samuel L. Jackson's like, like waving <laughs> at him and like banging yeah, on the yeah. window, oh, trying yeah, to get yeah. him to come in because right. he's like hungry and he yeah. wants his food. And also, uh, you know, it's known that Mookie, everyone, everyone comments about Mookie taking too long to deliver mm -hmm. and, everyone that he delivers to, they always ask their first question is, is it hot? Right. Um, so like, yeah, he's just sitting there like, give me my food right, while it's right, like, give right. me, he's waving it over. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's so great. Yeah. It's, it's a hilarious, like little physical business. Right. Totally. Um, yeah. But yeah. And I, I just think, I think that I, it does not strike me as likely that he created this like, sort of more singular cinematic metaphor that we should sort of dig for. Know, yeah. I'm not saying that. It's it, but it strikes me that he has a really good mind for like poetry mm -hmm. and like figurative language 
and how to do that like in cinema you know the like the flowers you know that that Demare brings to mother sister and then later time passes and like you pass through her room and you see a vase of flowers that are like on her table and like she's mm-hmm. you know taking them in and all kinds of things and and i just yeah i think he's just more poetic oh yeah no totally and i mean and just like that being the sign of like a really good filmmaker you know of like the visual language that you can be teaching us and that like doesn't have to be commented on but that like makes the world so rich you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm yeah certainly not saying that he was like i'm going to make this in the style of a radio show but just that it's like an interesting i like i just like finding ways to uh like analogies for the form sure. or like for the, for the, the effect that it has on me as far as like mm. how I watched it. Yeah. Um, kind of like that. And another one just that I noticed that I thought was so profound was the, just the, um, the first, the moment of the fire hydrants and the playing in the water and how like fun it is and how they're all like cooling off and it's like splashing around and great. And then of course it gets shuts down, gets shut down. And then like later when the fire is happening and the fire department comes and then just like, you know, hosing them with the fire hoses. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, and just, and like the, you know, the, the parallel there of like the joy and then the intense violence, um, right. from the, of this one, like not only All this one element, but, place, yeah. but from the same, like, you know, like the, something that is there to protect the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like in one, in the earlier instance, it's like a thing that's meant to protect that they're using to like have fun, cool off. And then at the end, it's like, a thing that is meant to protect the neighborhood that then mm. is used as a weapon against them, you know? Even the, now the, the police are fairly, um, it, the, the way that it, I, I take no issue with, yeah, the, the way that it handles the police is, is, is fairly clear, but there is one moment that sheds like a slightly different light or just like, it just kind of shifts the perspective a little bit, mm-hmm. which is the scene where they like blast that one like rich dude in a convertible that's mm-hmm. coming through, mm-hmm. and then the cops come. They're like, "What's going on here?" And he's like, "You know, shouting racist stuff. You know that he should mm-hmm. go get them, get the whoever did it." And they're like, "Where where are they?" Yeah, and they're right. like, "Are you kidding me?" They're right, right there, and then they're like, right. "I don't." Yeah. Oh, you know and they ask, you know they like they they take a very sort of like blase attitudes like all right well you want to file a report all right right no okay like uh and so it's just uh it's just it like further adds like right layers to what's going on i'm not saying it it doesn't it doesn't make them look like better cops no no you know it just is like right it's surprising because it's otherwise it would have been easier or more expected to be like because in the movie they would arrest a random person on the street and you know but it, and then it also makes me think about like class a, a bit, you know, where it's like this guy in like a really nice car, you know, who's probably wealthy and like the police officers being, you know, blue collar yeah. workers of just like potentially them being like, I'm not going to. In a blue collar you know, neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Being like, being like what are you, you know, yeah. even a sense of like, what are you doing here? You mm-hmm. know, like you don't belong here. Like if you're going to drive through here, then like we're not going to protect you, you know, just partially because like you're rich so you don't need it or something. I right. don't know, you know. Yeah. yeah, I was you know, I was talking to somebody about like uh the way that 
this is a little bit silly and we'll get into what exactly we were talking about, but like that, that those kind of, that this kind of sort of social stratification, it works like shattered glass. Like if you throw a pebble at glass and break it, Mm -hmm. um, that like in the middle, it's broken into lots of little tiny pieces. And then the farther out you get pieces get bigger. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this situation where this block together is broken up into all these tiny pieces. Mm -hmm. But then this guy comes in and he's like, one of the outside big pieces. Hmm. And so suddenly all the like small pieces, they still are like, we're here. You don't belong mm-hmm. here. Um, hmm. Yeah. It's just like a, which is, yeah, no, no, no answer of any kind. It's just like sure. a weird thing. How sort of social groups work where it's like, you yeah. know, I'm against you until they come. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes me think back to that thing of like, you know, the sort of trading epithets, like group by mm-hmm. group, you know, of like, it's not simple for anybody. Like everyone, yeah, there's like a, there are, um, yeah, there are like, it's not as easy as saying like, well, all the white people in this movie are going to have each other's back, you know, because like right. that's also just not how things happen, you know? So like, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a moment where, they move over because there's all this tension with the fact that like these Koreans have been able to come in and in one year Mm -hmm. and have a successful business while there are no black owned businesses in the area. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean that uh, you can listen to many a Malcolm X speech about that. Mm -hmm. And then that is a prevalent issue through today. And so when the, the sort of violence starts to break out. The next mm. thing that they start to, the mm. d- tension starts to get directed right. towards them. Towards them. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he's sort of the, the guy who, who owns it. He's like shaking a broom at them. And then he's like, it's like this kind of comical moment. And they laugh at it where he's like, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm you, I'm black. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. We're the same. Right. Yeah. We're the yeah. same. Yeah. And, and it's this issue where it's like, yeah, he is, he is the victim of racism too. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. just so happens that like in this neighborhood, the the structures in place here allow him to have a business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's just more complex than yeses and nos right well and even like the when the three guys are talking on the street because they're the ones who are on the corner they're the ones who like bring up the like they've been here a year and they have the successful business and like you know why don't we have a business like there's no black owned businesses Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna start my own bit you know and then like but then it becomes this thing of like well but have you done anything you know like you're just sitting here talking like you haven't you're not gonna start a business what do you you know and so like yeah like it's not it doesn't the movie doesn't tell us that like uh, necessarily that like, yeah, that like some, uh, like somebody has tried to start to like open a business and fail, you know, or whatever. It's just sort of like becomes a more, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Issue. Uh, and then now th- and there's also a scene that was, I think it was, I don't remember it. I think it was cut from the movie that while uh, Jade is mm-hmm. uh, doing mother sister's hair, she talks about how she lost her money. And then it was because her husband, like, in like invested it all in like black owned businesses, and they all failed, mm. and so she just wanted to like leave the neighborhood entirely. So there's this a whole kind of like, there's another there's an issue of like, you know what, this this talk of like wanting 
these businesses, but also like mm. I, I I don't have any sort of language to to discuss the the, the complexity because there are, there are barriers on on both sides to success, and I just like I don't have any of the information to talk about it. And clearly, mm-hmm. like the people living in the neighborhood really don't have the no. I mean, no one was short of like a sociology mm-hmm. scholar could probably say like exactly why without like making some generalizations, but like mm-hmm. it's just a, it, it is as open ended as, and as complex as the issue is just sort of in general. Mm-hmm. Um, now the love fest <laughs> should uh, come to an end because <laughs> Uh, one thing, if it, you know, about 10 years after this, Spike Lee stopped being in his films. And I think that that was probably okay. Cause yeah. he's not a great he's not actor. Great. Yeah. Um, but, um, the, so that like, that's one thing that's like, man, he's just, he's mm-hmm. not great. But, um, so, you know, the nude scene with Rosie Perez, mm-hmm. um, Watching that to me, it was like pretty clearly a body double. Um, but I, in reading this, apparently it is not. It's just very, it seems very clearly a body double because it like it's her and she like quote takes off her clothes and then suddenly we've got this naked body that's being shot from the neck down. Mm-hmm. Typically speaking, if you're so deliberately not seeing somebody's face, mm-hmm. it's because it's not them. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. But or it's then it, that's so weird. Yeah, if like her face is deliberately not in it, but it's her body, then it's like just straight up, obviously about objectification, right? In a weird way. Yeah, if it's not a body double, it's like a very bizarre form yeah. of object, like yeah. just very deliberate and obvious objectification, which Spike Lee has received criticism about mm-hmm. in the way that he in his early works shoots women, mm-hmm. um, but. To quote uh, Rosie Perez, you know, she mentions that she felt weird about the scene because not just because her family would see it, like she said, mainly because her family would see it. But quote, it wasn't really about taking off my clothes, but also I didn't feel good about it because the atmosphere wasn't correct. And when Spike Lee puts the ice cubes on my nipples, the reason you don't see my head is because I'm crying. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Oh my God. I was very disappointed to find that. Whoa. Yuck. Cause also the scene doesn't belong really in the movie. It does not fit. It's just, and if it had just just been like the other parts of it, fine. Like where, you know, he's like, thank God for thighs and kneecaps. And like, that was kind of funny because it was like elbows, like, and he's putting the ice on all those places. And we don't actually see anything explicit until this suddenly this one Mm -hmm. straight on shot of just her breasts. Oh, that's really, that's so gross. And she was crying and they still just like did it. For no, yeah, and it's obviously doesn't serve a purpose, like in terms of the plot or the relationship, even mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, that's really gross. Yeah, that. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. should we, um, <laughs> on that note, do another vote? On that note, oh God, yeah, ending <laughs> <laughs> it off there, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, we let's let's do it. Let's revisit. Um, yep. Ready? Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. We still need to keep it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's something that that's like out, awful, and we can cut it out. It doesn't affect the. I mean, shit. Cut the fucking frame out. Cut the shot out. Like. Right. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, I, well, oh. when you said scene, I, th- I could have thought oh, you meant the entire oh, like sure, ice cube sure. yeah. no, business, which the, yeah, it's fine. Wouldn't affect the the plot in right, any regard, right. but it would just like even just that one that shot. One shot. We just don't know? need that shot at all. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. frustrating. Um. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. Is really really wrong. But it's yeah. I mean, in terms of a film, like there's just no yeah. film that gives the situation the complexity that it has in in real life agreed yeah and it's... doesn't let like anyone like off the hook mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in it right totally no it's really a masterpiece and just his third movie hot God. diggity yeah. damn yes um get this man an oscar <laughs> seriously All right, he well. won best director for black klansman right best uh, I think so. Yeah. I think he won, maybe, picture, yeah. And then uh, I remember, I remember him winning one, but I can't remember if it was a lifetime achievement or if it was for pretty his sure it was director. best director or screenplay. Uh, he won. Live checking. He won for adapted screenplay. Ah, screenplay. Okay. So he was nominated for best director. Mm. Um, Who won for director? Or do that was too much. It doesn't matter. Oh, director, right? That was. Um, it was the one for... Oh, it for, was for, for Roma, the, right? No, no, no. I think... Oh, no, no. Yeah, it was for... No. Oh, yeah, because Best Picture was... No. It was, it well, was no, Quaron, the right? Shape of Water. Wasn't it the... Guillermo del Toro? I thought that was... Was so. that the right year? Wasn't it? Maybe I'm mixing up years. Anyways, that we're not talking about oh, those look, movies. <laughs> it was. It was Quaron. It was. Oh, okay. Yeah. He won for... Um, for Roma. For Roma. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Got it. Um. Awesome. All wow. right. Well, well, boom, we did yeah. it. We're gonna we're gonna take a little a break. Sweet, sweet, sly little holiday break. Holiday. Holiday. Holiday break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna come back, and it's all films from Australia. Crocodile <laughs> Dundee. Kangaroo. And that weird uh, kangaroo Jack. Yeah. None of us are going to Australia, but no. so don't be misled. No but, one's going um, to Australia. Yeah. Stay we're gonna... on this side of the date line. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. We will just check, you know, one check with your, the okay, mermaids. You're not gonna let Which, me what's that Australian show with the mermaids? New Zealand. Oh, wait, what? The mermaids. It's like oh, a thing. What is yeah. that? With what like is the that? Live action thing. Yeah. Oh man, I don't remember what it's called, but yes, yeah, I know like, oh, exactly what you're mermaid, talking about. So weird. Mermaid. But anyways, um, we're gonna be back with Mr. the '90s in the new year, Ooh. which is fast approaching. Can Ooh. you believe it? But new decade um, for a new decade. Yeah, new decade. I'll be uh, yeah. I'm 30. It's not about. That. Okay. I thought yeah. You're like already that. in I'm a new 30, decade. I'm 30, but right. but starting new. Decade. Yeah. New decade. But anyways, check back though decade. around the holiday times because we will be throwing yeah. one more special special one fun fun. You'll get to meet Quinn special, who we talked about. Fun fun. Oh yes, now Quinn he was referenced earlier today. Yeah. All right. Yes. Here we'll, we'll have a happy Australian <laughs> some New Year. Shrimp on the Barbie. There's some there's <laughs> some prawns say. on the Barbie as they say. Where the toilet goes, the other way. And that's the truth, Um, Ruth. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) 
This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.